0: Here it is, Easter, Easter morning, We're, we've talked, you know, you think about this week, and, and we think about Friday, we think about Saturday, we think about Sunday, because this is a Friday, Saturday, Sunday story, is what's really going on here. On Friday, Jesus was executed by the powers that be, because they thought he was a threat to their control, and so Friday was this day of tragedy, this, this day of horror, this day of shame for the disciples and the way they behaved in the midst of it also. So Friday is this brutal day of, of just depressing and, and discouragement. And Saturday, Saturday is this day of silence. I mean, you can imagine, we, we talk about this all the time, putting ourselves in the shoes of people in that day. Put your, shoes in, uh, put your feet in the shoes of the disciples. Saturday is, is just this day of, you just wait, there's nothing. There's no hope. It's all over. It's a day of waiting. It's a day of fear. It's a day of doubt. It's a day of sorrow. And then Sunday came, and Sunday changed the world for Jesus' disciples. And I just want to say, you may be, you may be in Friday right now. There may be some incredible, terrible, horrible things happening in your life right now, at this moment. And you don't know if you can bear up under the weight of it. Or you may be in Saturday. The tragedy has happened. And now you're just kind of existing in this between time. You don't know what's next. You don't know how to get through it. You don't know what's going to happen. And you're just here. Just living. Just existing. Because Friday is weighing upon you. And has changed the way you look at everything. And you can imagine how the disciples felt that way. And then there's Sunday and it just changes everything. And so I'm gonna do so. I wanna look at what does the resurrection mean? I mean, I thought about giving arguments on why I believe in the resurrection. And, and if, you, if you are struggling with doubts or you just don't even think it's true, boy, I'd love to talk to you about it. I can recommend books. I can give you ideas to think about and we can discuss it and that's fine. But I wanna talk about what it means because here's what we acknowledge. There was this man named Jesus. He taught like nobody ever taught. He loved like nobody ever loved. He lived like no one ever lived. He especially had a heart for people on the margins, for the sick, for the sinners, for the forgotten poor, for the despised rich, for the disliked soldiers. People like that. And on Friday, his great courage got him arrested. His great love led him to the cross. His great heart stopped beating. On Friday, what looked like a tragic, horrible ending to such a wonderful life, turned out to be the greatest sacrifice of love that the world has ever known. And then on Saturday was the silence. The king is sleeping. Jesus entered into death and hell for you and me. And on Sunday, a stone got rolled away. On Sunday, we just sang this, death lost its sting. On Sunday, sin lost, shame died, hope soared, love won. On Sunday, you got something beyond yourself to live for. On On Sunday, you found something beyond your life to die for and something that will go on beyond your death. And this is therefore the central proclamation of the gospel, the greatest victory over the darkest enemy by the noblest hero for the loftiest cause in all of human history. And so if anything in this dark, sorry world is worth celebrating, it is that Christ is risen. Because this means everything's different. It changes everything. It changes life. It changes pain. It changes hardship. It changes death. Because of Easter Sunday. And I want to read you this passage. I'm just going to read it to you from Matthew 28. You can follow along if you have your Bible or if you have it on your phone or whatever. Or just just listen. Matthew 28, 1 through 9. It's a familiar passage. Most of you have heard it. I mean, Easter is something we know about. After the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who is crucified. who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel like Jesus is a little understated right here at this moment, right? These women are devastated. They loved him. They come to the tomb. The stone is gone. There's an angel there. And suddenly this rabbi, who they love, who has died, who they saw him buried, has risen from the dead. And you would just think this is the perfect time for some kind of amazing, profound statement of truth, an explanation of what just happened. And all he says is greetings. Now, that word in the Greek is a word that is a very, common, uh, a very common way of just addressing each other, of saying hi, of saying what's up. It's like saying, hey, good to see you guys. How you doing? Nice day, isn't it? What's going on? It's that kind of a greeting. In other words, Jesus is kind of like saying, what would you expect? I told you. I told you. So it's just a common greeting right? Um, there's a New Testament scholar, a guy named um, Dale Bruner, and he writes about teaching about this in a children's sermon one time. And he asked the kids, what were Jesus's first words to the disciples after he was raised from the dead? And this little girl stands up and goes, it was this. Ta-da! <laughs> like that, right? And he says, well, yeah, kind of. I mean, it kind of is. Greetings. Ta-da! What'd you guys expect? Because Sunday changes everything. Not in the way people think everything has changed, though. We have crazy ideas about how. But what what Jesus actually goes on to say is not any kind of explanation of how this happened or, or what just happened. He gives them an assignment. Now go. you got something to do. You women, go tell the others. This is your job right now. You have something to do. Because Easter has changed everything, but it's not in the way some people think. Because a lot of people think now Easter is kind of this uh, comforting little story that says, you know, spring is coming. Flowers are blooming. Plants grow up through the cracks of sidewalks. Stuff like that. But what's happening here is something totally different from that. I should remove that picture. But it's not just saying, hey, let's dress up and look nice. Everything's going to work out. Because we have these misconceptions. A lot of people who are hard thinkers are pretty skeptical about Easter. And that it's actually some sort of a crutch for people who can't handle the cold reality of death. That Easter's kind of a fairy tale when all the tension got relieved and danger got removed and everybody lived happily ever after. Think about that. This idea that it's like a fairy tale and everyone lived happily ever after. That's not what happened. That's not at all what happened. That's exactly what did not happen. Because this is one of the most striking things. If you read the gospel accounts, people become afraid after Jesus is raised from the dead. In fact, what you never hear in the gospel accounts, in the accounts of the resurrection, you never hear Jesus go, okay, now you don't have to worry about dying. Got that covered. He doesn't say that. And I love this passage because it says the women are filled with joy and afraid at the same time. What a striking thing to say. What an interesting thing, like two things that don't seem like they would fit together. They are afraid and they're joyful. Why? Because they know nothing's going to be the same anymore. Nothing's going to be the same anymore. Very interesting in the Gospel of Matt. In the Gospel of Mark, it says, after the women hear the news and witness the resurrection, it says, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. They're like, this is, what is happening here? In the Gospel of John, which we just went over not that long ago, we're told that after the resurrection and the appearance of Jesus, the disciples are meeting together behind locked doors because they're afraid. So what's going on? So let's think about it the way they would think about it. Jesus has been crucified by the powers that be. His disciples are terrified because they're afraid they're going to be next. This happened commonly. During those days, there would be different people who would rise up and say, I'm the Messiah. And then Rome would kill them, and they'd hunt down some of the followers and kill them too. And so the disciples are like, We're next, they're afraid. And Jesus doesn't come to them and say, your troubles are all solved now. Let's all go to heaven and have a big party. Jesus doesn't come to them and say, just feel relieved. What does he say? He says the cross didn't stick. Their plan to stop my movement didn't work. It's going to move on and grow and grow and grow. In fact, my plan to love even your enemies, to be willing to sacrifice, to suffer, and even to die for the sake of that love has been vindicated by the Father because I've been raised from the dead. And the powerful people are going to be really ticked off now. And Pilate and the chief priest, scripture tells us, are already plotting on how to tamp down the news, how to Cut this thing at the cut it off at its at the knees to stop it because they're furious and they're desperate. And what is Jesus telling them? I'm going back to my Father. I'm gonna send my spirit so that now you can go. He says, You women, you, you disciples, all of you, you go. Tell them. Go to Jerusalem, tell them the cross has failed, Caesar failed, Pilate failed, the chief priests failed. I'm going to my father, and now they have you to contend with. Can you imagine that? Jesus is telling disciples, I'm leaving so you guys can step in there and go at it with them. And they're all like, huh, it's not what we were thinking was going to happen. It doesn't sound like a plan. Let's see. We don't have much organization. We have absolutely no money, right? We got hardly any followers. There's just a few of us, and we all scattered at the first sign of trouble. And Jesus is like, great. We're all on plan. Let's go. Because why? Because Jerusalem's still a powder keg. There's still all this turmoil going on there. And for them to go into the city and tell everybody the crucifixion failed, that Jesus is still on the loose and running around, and that we're on his side, that's a dangerous assignment. They know that. They know that if we go into Jerusalem and say, Jesus didn't die, he's risen from the dead, he's alive, and they'll people around and say, well, let's work on you then. Let's kill you and see what happens. That's what they're afraid of. They're afraid. They're filled with joy and they're afraid. Because Easter is not a comforting little metaphor. It's not a generic reassurance in the face of death. It's, not, it's like I said, it's not flowers that force their way through cracks in the sidewalk. Easter Sunday is Jesus. And that means that everything Jesus has been saying about God, about life, about death, about faith, about forgiveness, about suffering, about giving up your life, it all comes true. It's all true. And so that means God, who created everything in the beginning, is now recreating everything. Things have changed. Jesus says, go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father, to to my God and your God. He says, go to them. These are the ones who deserted him. He says, go to them. And he calls them family. Now, we're family now. On the basis of what happened, we're family. It's my God and it's your God. It's my father and it's your father. And you are my siblings. We are now related. What does that mean? You have a new identity. It's not based on your performance. They just deserted him. It's a gift of grace. He's saying, look at this. We are now related. You have a new identity. It's a new creation. There's a new way of doing things. In the four gospels, the task of being witnesses who testify to the truth of the resurrection is given at first just to women. Now, we don't... And I know this, people talk about this a lot, but we need to repeat it. We, we don't think about that that much. Doesn't seem that striking in our day. But in that day, that was incredible. Women were not allowed to testify in court because they couldn't be trusted. This is the way, it was a patriarchal society, and this is the way they believed. Josephus, the historian, said, even if there were multiple witnesses, multiple women who saw a murder, their testimony was not valid because of the levity and the boldness of their sex. That's how he wrote it. You can't trust them. Celsus, who was a uh, second-century critic of Christianity, he mocked the idea of Mary Magdalene as an an alleged resurrection witness. He said, she's a hysterical female. She's been deluded. Now, look, I can feel from half the audience the hate (laughs) coming right now. Listen, no, it's not me. I don't say that. (laughs) This is the way it was. Imagine a time in history where men... Thought so little of women. <laughs> mm. You know, in, in, uh, as historians evaluate uh, ancient literature to decide whether or not they feel like it is historically accurate or not, they have a number of things. There's 13 or 15 things that they look at and how they, uh, how they evaluate to judge whether it's reliable. And one of them is, is, this, is this standard, that it's, it's commonly called embarrassment. In other words, if the author chooses to include an embarrassing fact that may hurt his or her case, then it is unlikely or less likely that they're making up the story. They, this happens in all kinds of literature. There's examples of it in all kinds of literature, and it happens as we look at uh, Scripture, too. Because what's going on here? We are being told these things that are incredibly embarrassing to the story. In other words, when you say the first witnesses of Jesus were women in that culture, in that day and age, that does not help your credibility. It hurts your credibility to say the women were the first, the first witnesses to the risen, risen Christ. It hurts it. So why would you include it if you were making it up? It doesn't make sense. There's a number, and it, there's, it's throughout Scripture, throughout especially the four Gospels, there's all these things that are embarrassing things about the disciples. Here we're hearing that the people who turned out, who became the pillars of the church, James and John and Peter, were cowards. And they ran, and Peter, you know, denied Christ three times. These are things that don't help your case in that culture and they included them. Why? Because it's what happened. This is what happened. And so we see this dynamic continuing in the gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 24, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and others with them who told this to the disciples. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like to them Nonsense. You can imagine this how this works. The women came in and they said, Hey, Jesus is alive. You don't believe? We went to the grave. He's risen. I don't understand what it means. This guy got kind of nervous about this. I don't know what's gonna happen next, but he has risen. And they're like, You're talking nonsense. Don't tell us that. Can you imagine the frustration of the women at that point? Okay, quite a few of you can. Yes. Yes. And they were tempted. <laughs> They were tempted to say, you know, he chose to appear to us. You're the runaways. We're trying to help you, and you're telling us we're talking nonsense. I don't know. I just think Mary Magdalene might have gone, don't even go there. (laughs) Don't even go there, right? And then, I don't know, I just think this way. I always think, what happens after the guys see Jesus, and they tell the women, he's risen? And they're like, yeah, we know. We told you, you know, suddenly you think you're on our side. So Easter changes these things. What does it change? It changes identity. It changes intimacy. It changes family. People are given a new identity. We have now this new intimacy. He is my father, and I am his son. He is your father, and you are his daughter. This is an intimacy that undreamed of in that world. And then a new family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Something worth living for, something worth dying for, a purpose worth spending your life on. But it doesn't make their lives safe. That's the thing. It doesn't make their lives safe, or mine, or yours. It's kind of like what Jesus said a long time ago. If anybody wants to be a part of my movement, let them take up their cross and die to themselves and follow me. Oh, man. There's some stuff we're going to have to die to. There's some stuff they were going to have to die to. If you want a safe, easy, comfortable life, this might not be what you're looking for. It's not something you just add to your life. You know? We're going because the kids need some religion in their life. That's why we're there. Or I'm just going to get a little help. And then once I'm okay, I'm cool. It's all good. No. There will be things we will have to die to. You have to go through Friday and Saturday to get to Sunday. Because this is a Friday, Saturday, Sunday story. This is Jesus' story. And this is going to become their story. They begin to use this kind of language when they say things like, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What is that saying? That's saying I got a new story. My story has changed. See, on Friday, the idea was not so much that he died so that I don't have to die. The idea was he died so that I could die with him. He's crucified so I can be crucified with him. This part of me that is sinful and dark, these habits that I get ashamed of. I can't control them. I can't stop them. But if I surrender them to God, I put them on the cross, he can help me be set free. So what would they say? They would say things like, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anybody who has died has been freed from sin. I'm not what I once was. That's what they're saying. I've become something new, somebody new. And God sees me this way. Jesus calls me his brother. Father calls me his son. You're his daughter. You're his sister. This is a new thing. It's a new way. Why? Because if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And Paul talks about this over and over. He talks about this rebirth. And when he uses that word, this word rebirth, he uses the word metamorpho. It's where we get the word metamorphosis, right? When my kids were little, one of their favorite TV shows, right? You see it coming, right? The mighty morphin' power rangers, right? They're about these young kids, you know, the big crisis would come. And what would, their, what would their rallying cry be? It's morphin' time. They would say that, it's morphin' time. And then they would receive, oh yeah, take that off. Okay, that's gone. There would be ordinary people who would receive extraordinary power to do extraordinary things. It's morphin' time. At the church I was at before this one, I once encouraged some new liturgy there where I would say it's morphin' time and the congregation would say we shall morph indeed. It never caught on. They encouraged me to leave. So here I am. I'm not going to try it with you guys. <laughs> I want to stay longer. But here, here's the thing. In the early church, what, is, what does this Sunday mean? It means it's morphin' time. I had been dying, and now I'm not dying. And so have you. Dying inside because of the things I, I, I didn't want to do, the things that I did do. I'm not the person I want to be. It's morphing time. Now I can be what God made me to be. The old self, you know, I mean, it doesn't mean I'm perfect. It doesn't mean you're perfect. The old self keeps trying to come back to life, but the clock is ticking on the old self. I'm being remade. And Jesus reminds me I'm his brother. Jesus reminds you, you're his brother, you're his sister. He reminds us of that. This is your family standing. And when I sin, I remember that the penalty of sin already got paid on Friday, the debt is gone. So I confess it, I repent, I ask God, God will you help me die to these old patterns, these old habits that that just bring me down, that old self. I make amends to people that I have hurt and then I move on, on, I just move on, it's gone. I refuse to allow my sins, my failures, or my inadequacies to define me anymore. And so the question for Easter is how about you? How about me? How about all of us? What will we do? What are we putting our ultimate hope in? Our foundational hope. What do we rest on? What do you build your life on? A lot of people are putting their ultimate hope in something, some circumstance, some outcome, some situation. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a job. Well, if I just get this job, maybe it's health. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's success, security, power, affection. It's going to let you down. It can't be the thing you base your life on. Years ago, about 12 years ago, I had um, open heart surgery. And so as we were leading up to it, one night I went up to my youngest daughter's bedroom, Addie, and I sat down on the bed with her. And I said, you know, I'd sit down, i pray with them before they go to sleep and that kind of thing. And I said, you know, I just want to talk to you about this a little bit. A little bit. And I, I got I to gotta be a little honest. I probably was you know, hoping she'd be real sympathetic and show affection and it would make me feel a little better because I was under a little stress about this thing. And I know that's stupid, but we could all use a little sympathy and affection, right? So I go to her and I say, you know, if you want to talk about this, and she said, well, well, she started asking questions and I said, I need to have this surgery or I will just get sicker and sicker and sicker. And she said, could, could, could you die? And leave us alone? And I said, Well, if I don't get the surgery, I will die. And she's like, What would we do? You know, this look of concern and care, and it made me feel so good. You know, my daughter's so concerned about me, right? And I said, Well, honey, listen, because she says, How would we live without you? And I said, honey, you know, this is why mummies and daddies get life insurance. So if they die, their family will be taken care of. You know, you will be taken care of if I die. And she looked just seriously, you know, kind of contemplating this horror of her beloved father being taken away. She said, if you do, how much do I get? And I was like, whoa, sympathy gone, <laughs> right? Right? If you're putting your hope in something, if you're, putting, you're resting in something, like getting affection out of someone, or maybe a pile of money that's going to come someday, or a scheme that's going to out-scheme aging or death, if you're putting in anything, any circumstance, it will disappoint you in the end. So those women at the tomb, they would say to you and they would say to me, put your ultimate hope in Jesus. You can do that right now. Put your hope in Jesus. Confess your sins, ask forgiveness, receive his life. Put your life and your eternal destiny in his hands. And you can do that. But when you do that, then you know you have hope. You have a foundation in one thing that the earth, this world, this culture, this universe cannot touch. It cannot be touched. It has no power over it. There's no circumstance, there's no disappointment, there's no accident, there's no guilt, there's no regret. There's no mistake, there's not even death itself that can touch it. One day Christ died for our sins and he was raised from the dead on the third day and we are third day people. You can be a third day person too. It takes commitment, that's what it is. It's a commitment that we make. It's something where we make a decision. When I asked my uh, wife to marry me, um, it was on the couch. I just remember it. I was on the couch in her family's living room, and I had brought the ring in the car to visit her up in, in Boston area, and, uh, and uh, you know, where people just talk crazy, funny talk. And uh, Why did I say that? I don't even know. Sorry, honey. Um, <laughs> I tell a sweet story about my wife and insult her at the same time. This is what... This is, this is how not to do marriage. Okay, thanks. Um, so, so we're sitting on the couch, and, I, and I, I hadn't thought about exactly when I'd ask her. And so I'm just getting stressed about it. I'm getting worked up. And all of a sudden, she looks over at me, and she goes, are you okay? And I said, yeah, sure, I'm fine. You know? She said, your shirt is beating I can see your, your shirt moving. Your heart is beating so hard, so fast. What is wrong with you? She's thinking I'm going to have a heart attack right there. I'm feeling like I'm going to have a heart attack. And I said, nothing. Just a second. I'll be right back. And I ran out of the car. And I grabbed it. And I came. And I just, you know, said how much I loved her and how much I wanted to spend my life with her. And, and she, I started crying. She started crying. And she looked at me in the eyes and leaned over and kissed me. And since the invention of the kiss, there have only been five kisses that were rated <laughs> as the most passionate, the most pure. And this one left them behind. <laughs> Greatest kiss ever. And so we hugged. And all of a sudden I thought, she didn't say anything. <laughs> Not like she, and I said, hey, <laughs> you didn't say yes. I wanna know, I want a commitment. Because this is what this is going to be based on. I need a commitment. And she said, yes, I love you. I want to spend my life with you. I said, okay, good. Sign here. You know, (laughs) I didn't do that. But you know what? That's what it takes. It takes a commitment. There's a commitment that's involved in becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. We don't just slip and fall into it. And maybe you haven't been around church as much and you're just at the beginning stages of thinking about God and about faith and maybe you have a lot of questions and you not a lot of information. But you can make that decision. God can start with that and he can work on you. You know, but okay, maybe you haven't understood and personally responded. You've heard the story, but you got some struggles. Man, that's Okay. That's normal. Been there. Been there. I was in that limbo for years. Right? I do want to say this. I'd love to talk to you. If you would like to just talk in a no threat, you know, no judgment environment, I would be happy to talk with you. Or if you go, Bob, I don't really want to talk to you. I understand that. Uh, I'd be happy to recommend a book. I'd be happy to recommend something to read that maybe can give you some information to work through and think about that. Now, maybe you're here, you say, Bob, I'm Christian. Christian. My life, man, I'm thankful. Then this is, this is a time that, that, that Easter Sunday reminds us to be so thankful for how God has worked in our lives because it all is based on what happened on this day and saying thank you. But you know what, maybe not. Like I said earlier, maybe you're on a Saturday right now. Maybe you're on a Friday right now and there's disappointment that's, heavy on your spirit. And there are things that are filling you with worry and fear. And I think Jesus would say this to you. I think he would say, I want you to give it to me. I want you to give me your disappointment. I want you to give me your hopes. Give it to me. Whatever is just killing you right now. Put it all in me. Why? Because I understand. This is the greatest thing we have. We have a savior who goes I know how it feels. I've been betrayed. Right? I've been I I I was killed unjustly. I had close friends who deserted me. I was misunderstood over and over and over. I was hated by the people who were supposed to be the ones that greeted me from the beginning. The ones that knew about me, that know the scriptures. And from the beginning, they attacked me. I know what it is to lose someone close. I know all those fe- I know what you're going through. We have a Savior who says, come to me. Come to me. I understand. I was there. And then finally, what does he do? Just like he did with the women. Just like he did with the disciples. In fact, kind of what he did with the disciples. He gives us a job. He says, I have something for you. And then Jesus said to them, came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He's saying, go. Go to your neighbors. Go to your co-workers, Go to your fellow students. Go to those that are in somehow in your sphere of influence, go because they need it to. They need what I have for them, what I've done for you, I did for them. And so on Easter Sunday, God is telling us man, you have a new identity, a new hope, new meaning, new family. Now go and share, go and live it with everyone else. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for, as we think about these things, of how you've worked and how you've changed us. God, I personally thank you for all these years of the way you've supported me and loved me, even in my mistakes and my inadequacies, my sins. And Lord, for all of us, this is who we are. We are, as followers of Christ, we are brothers and sisters with each other and with you. And we all have a father who loves us dearly. And so Lord, help us to keep that in mind as we leave this place. That we go out into a world that needs you and people that need you, people that are standing on false foundations and someday those foundations will crumble and fall and help us to be the people who are there for them, that help pick them up, that encourage and love and speak the truth in love too. Lord, help us to decide to follow you regardless of where it leads us. In Jesus' name, amen.